The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Superheroes have been among us for many years, going as far back as even 1990. And at that time, the superheroes were gnarly, bodacious, and dare I say, totally rad. This is Totally Super. Now, here's the... First of all, welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. So here's the thing, Arthur. You just use a bunch of 80s terms because Ah. there's this part of your brain that doesn't want to admit that the terms that you think that are current from when you were a kid are actually out of date and gone and and wrong. No, they were both 80s and early 90s terms. I remember this because the 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 Nintendo movie The Wizard came out, I'm pretty sure, in the early 90s. And it had one of the best lines of any film ever, which is where the bad guy, after demonstrating his skills in Rad Racer with the Power Glove, turns to Fred Savage and says, I love the Power Glove. It's so rad. Now, uh, those out there, those out there in listener land, if I am wrong and the wizard was made in the 80s, I will completely eat my words. But I'm relatively certain that's how it worked. Oh, son of a. Yeah. All right. No, you're right. You're right. Let me let me let let me put it to you this way. that was a really good joke. Not see, <laughs> like, like I wish your jokes were a little more fly because, Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing though. I think yeah, that, yeah. that for people like you and me, like this movie doesn't seem like it should be nostalgia. Like the songs that they're playing, the, the, the mm-hmm. things that they're dropping, it's not nostalgia. This is still new music, right? Like what, since when did, Oh no, 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 that, no, no, become... all of it was no, that I, this movie was pretty nostalgic for me. Mm. My yeah. brain is locked, sir. My brain is mm-hmm. locked into a place. No, I know, I know Nirvana. I, I know according to you, Nirvana came out with its best music four years ago, but no, that well, is here's a, that is a bygone era. But here's the deal with that is that, Nirvana I get for whatever reason because they stopped making music right because of unfortunately what happened to Kurt Cobain but like the the rest of it like no doubt and I even realized how I looked at I I went on a little bit of a no doubt kick when I was on my way home and I went on Spotify I was like I want to see what no doubts didn't they just come out with an album and I look (laughs) and the album I think that they just came out with is from like 2000 like 13 and that was their first out that was their first album since their last one in like 2001 hey kids kids listening out there this is a scientific fact with every year that you age the years go faster and faster like time increases as you age which means that we're way closer to dead than we think we are (laughs) way closer (laughs) um this is captain marvel and we're quite quite a few things to talk about because i am i am angry arthur i am angry that a woman is getting a superhero oh i see where we're going i'm I'm angry that that brie larson wants only only not white men to see this movie and i'm angry and i'm going to protest this movie this movie's going to fail you failed marvel marvel you failed you're gonna lose billions so captain marvel was uh what was the uh opening weekend box office of 400 so far uh um because we're recording this on a wednesday 541.7 million dollars well i mean come on that's no avengers infinity wars so obviously massive failure yeah yeah, it just because it broke even already. <laughs> so here's the deal. Brie Larson came out when the press junkets were starting and said mm-hmm. something along the lines of when I go to press junkets and I go to a lot for films, I notice that it is predominantly it's like 90 percent white men. And I want to use my position um, as the star of this film to say that I will not do a press junket that is not like at least substantially more diverse when it comes to women and people of color. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what she said. Now, somehow, first of all, I don't have a problem with that. People go, why does it matter? I actually got into a, a Facebook fight with someone who was like, well, what you're trying to do is you're trying to force people into journalism because that's how many journalists there are. And I was like, well, uh, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and then 
so I, I didn't have a problem with their initial statement, but that immediately, like in the world of Facebook and Twitter, that immediately became, she only, she doesn't want white men to see the movie. Well, then F her. I'm not going to go see it. And mm-hmm. and that. Now, I also do need to wonder, because again, the thing with the world of Facebook and Twitter is that it is not actually in any way a representation of the somebody, a, a rager on Twitter or Facebook is usually not that much of an accurate representation of the. The, uh, demographic that they claim to represent. Um, I am now that is not to say that I am positive that there was a whole lot of, you know, wounded uh, white male angst over a lot of the decisions made during both the the making of this film as well as the way that it was marketed. Um, but this is just sort of my hopeful thing out there is that there, there is a probably a, at least, you know, from the people I've been talking to, there's a good number of uh, white men and men of all kinds who went out and really enjoyed this film. Yeah, I think that it's it does beg the question that that is this film a, is this film tied into identity politics? And that's something that we're going to talk about because I think that mm-hmm. it is. And I don't you know, people use identity politics as a as a dirty word. Um, and I think that it's it's more of a neutral word. It can't be good. It can't be bad. But the fact is that Marvel has released 20 movies to date before Captain Marvel. Of those 20 movies, 19 were white men and one was a black man. Mm-hmm. Marvel audiences, and I looked at this, Marvel audiences comprise 45% women. So there seems to me to be a, a, an unfairness to the idea that there would be any problem with there being a female superhero at this stage in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, it's time. <laughs> like, they're 50% yeah. of the population, 45% of your audience, and they're less than 5% of your of, of the heroes that you see um, on the posters. And this I is not a problem. This is not a problem that is being manufactured out of whole cloth to achieve some kind of feminist agenda. This is an honest observation of just the cold, hard facts. Um, like you said, the massive discrepancy in terms of those ratios. And I think what you get into now is in addition to the situation that I just described, you now have Marvel deliberately putting this out as as feminist. That is Marvel's it's on purpose. If you watch the trailers, it says find out what makes and it says her for like three quarters of a second. And then that spreads out to a hero. So the idea mm-hmm. is we're doing it. This is a film about a woman who's doing it. And there are people who are up in arms and go, why should that matter? And, you know, I'm sorry for those of you who are listening who disagree with me on this, but I think that it does matter. I think it's smart of Marvel to announce it, to say, hey, this is important to us. And this is in, this is something mm-hmm. moving forward. And I mean, comics have always been political, always people who say, can't we you just keep the politics out of it? Just like what, you know, <laughs> you think back, it's like, what do you think the X-Men were? Um, the uh, and actually and that's the truth with, uh, you know, with all great mythic things, um, politics touches every aspect of our lives. The purpose of mythical stories is that they also touch a lot of aspects of our lives. Um, I would, in fact, go so far as to say um, comics are almost always political. Now, I will also say that they are almost always. Uh, or they are almost never only political. This was not purely a political film. Um, you know, it was just a good old fashioned superhero film uh, in a lot of ways, too. But there is always going to be a political element. And that's OK. Well, it's, it's important to note the very first issue of Captain America was Captain America punching Hitler across the jaw. And it came yeah. out at a time It came out at a time when U.S. involvement in World War Two was an unpopular idea. Ooh, I did not know that. Yes. In in retrospect, we're like, well, of course he would. But in point of fact, like people are like, hey, stay out of it, man. Um, so I think I don't I want to put this in a way. There seems to be, and, and again, never read the comments. You should never ever read the comments. Mm-hmm. But there is this backlash against what is, I think, a very forward-thinking thing in films these days, that Star Wars is being led by a woman. Captain Marvel is mm-hmm. now a female superhero. The most popular superhero in the DC universe until Aquaman was a woman. You are having the backlash against, look at all these things that were primarily male, and now you're making it female. Look at this feminist agenda. 
Um, yeah. And my answer to that is there is absolutely a feminist agenda being pushed here. Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. That's the point of a feminist agenda. But you think it's evil because it's a feminist agenda. Let me ask you a question, sirs. Was this an evil thing when they decided to put only men in all of these roles for all this time? Because if it's evil now, why well, was no, it that not wasn't, evil that, then? That, that, that wasn't an agenda. That was just the default. And that's the thing. The agenda seems to be facetious. Yeah. The the agenda seems to be to uproot the default. Exactly. Um, I have to. uh, I have to. I always see this through the filter of. I I was fortunate enough to actually get a chance to see this with Kelly. So we both watched it the first time. My wife. And uh, I always see it through her filter and the movie is done. And uh, it was something very similar that when we went to see Wonder Woman too, um, she turns and she's saying, just like, man, if, if this movie had existed when I was eight and I finished the, uh, I thought I saw where she was going and I finished the sentence and I'm like, yeah, you could have been, you possibly would have been just as much of a comic geek as I am. Um, and then she said, well, yes, that's true. But what I was actually thinking was if this movie existed when I was eight, what might I have become like this? The, now, don't get me wrong. Kelly has achieved a tremendous amount of success in her own, life, her own life. She's super happy with her path. But the she was touching on the fact that when we see movies as kids with superheroes in them that are like us, it subconsciously unlocks to our mind unlimited options of what our futures could be. Um, and Kelly, who grew up uh, in the 80s and 90s and everything, essentially, she grew up at a time where a woman's future, while certainly having more options than 50 years previously was still decidedly limited in the social consciousness and uh yeah the, I just the love- idea in the 90s was sure you can be whatever you want but really should you yeah i really mean, i think that will you will you you know and i think i think that's the and again you know you and i are 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 you know we don't want to get too mansplaining about it uh because because mm-hmm. you know it's not our i feel like we don't even have a right to have an opinion sometimes about it because it, we didn't have to go through it we were told hey whatever you want to be go out and do it because that's what you're going to be and women were told mm-hmm. hey you now have the right to be anything you want good for you right yeah and it, it just it seems like there are people who don't like and it was right around this time it was right around 1995 when things started turning around when you started seeing, i mean this was yeah 1995 was when buffy first came out um yeah, maybe true. 97 was but but like around like mid to late 90s was when we started getting a, a new wave of feminist characters well and i or think I that that's empowered female characters yeah and i think that that's that's the one of the important reasons for it to be set in the time that it's set in mm-hmm. um you know you could have set this anytime right it didn't need to be set as a matter of fact it's almost problematic when we get to the plot that it is set so far in the past mm-hmm. it's not an accident that they're setting it in the 90s it's yeah. like it's this is the beginning of what should have been a more revolutionary turn and unfortunately mm-hmm. has you know let's say backtracked in the last few years yeah so with that being said, uh, why don't we go ahead and get into the plot of Captain Marvel? All right. Captain Marvel, the plot. First, let's just talk about the opening to Captain Marvel, like before the first scene of the film where we see the Marvel, the normal Marvel opening credit scrawl. And, uh, oh, they're not showing all the heroes. They're just showing every cameo of Stan Lee ever. And suddenly I'm like, great. Now I'm crying before the movie even begins. Well played. Well played. Uh, all right. From there, our story opens on the planet of Hala, homeworld to the alien race known as the Kree. A Kree soldier named Veers, played by Brie Larson, is completing her training. She is a powerful warrior who can shoot photon blasts from her hands, but has no memory of who she was before six years ago. After communing with an AI known as the Supreme Intelligence, she's given a mission with her squad to rescue a spy who is currently undercover on a planet teeming with Skrulls, a shapeshifter race that has been waging a guerrilla war of terror against the Kree for generations. The mission goes sideways very quickly, though, and Veers is captured by the scrolls. They plug her up to a machine that can scan her memories, memories which seem to be of a human fire- fighter pilot with the U.S. Air Force. The scrolls seem to be particularly interested in a woman named Wendy Lawson, played by Annette Benning, because apparently every major actor now wants to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and frankly, why wouldn't they? Veers breaks free of the machine and steals an escape pod which crash lands on the planet the scroll ship was orbiting, a circa 1995 Earth. The crash draws the attention of one Agent Nick 
Nicholas Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D., who goes to investigate. He is initially skeptical of Veers' claim that she is a Kree waging a mission against a group of alien shapeshifters, until after a high-speed train-slash-car chase, Fury discovers that one of the Skrulls was masquerading as his partner. He teams up with Veers, and they travel to Lawson's last known location, a secret military base out in the desert where they were testing new aircraft. There, they discover a few key things. First, Veers is most definitely from Earth, as she was one of the test pilots who flew the machines that Lawson was building, before they both supposedly died in a crash six years earlier. Second, Fury's boss at S.H.I.E.L.D. has been replaced by a Skrull, who orders the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to open fire on Fury and Veers. And third, they find an adorable cat named Goose, who will no doubt be single-handedly responsible for every animal shelter in America getting people looking for marmalade-colored tabbies following this movie's release. They escape in one of Lawson's aircraft, and make their way to the home of the woman who, according to photographs, was Veers' best friend when she was in the Air Force, Maria Rambeau. After a rather touching reunion with Maria and her adorable daughter Monica, Maria confirms that Veers is in fact Carol Danvers, a strong-willed, never-say-die woman from Earth who wanted nothing more than to fly planes. The reunion is interrupted by the Skrull leader Talos, who reveals that they are not terrorists so much as refugees from a planet that the Kree destroyed eons ago because they would not submit to Kree rule. Lawson was not human, but rather a Kree scientist named Marvell, who decided to help the Skrulls, who believe that the light-speed engine she designed can help them find a new home. Carol has a flashback where she learns that the spacecraft with that engine was the one that she and Lawson were in during the crash, and it was shot down by none other than her Kree commander, Jan Rog, who shot Lawson. The explosion from that engine is what gave Carol her powers. With Maria as a pilot, they all fly to Marvell's laboratory in space, orbiting the Earth where they discover a power source called the Tesseract. And boy, was that a throwback. As well as a number of Skrull refugees who had been hiding there for years, including Talos's family. Carol's old squad has tracked her down, however, and the station is boarded by Kree soldiers. They capture Carol and seek to bond her to the Supreme Intelligence, which would strip her of her power. But through sheer force of human determination and pluck, she resists, and actually unlocks her full potential that the Kree had been suppressing. What follows is a titanic battle across the space station, and eventually out into space, where Carol single-handedly takes on an entire Kree fleet, led by Ronan the Accuser, that was about to bomb Earth. In an action sequence that probably had the makers of the Green Lantern film all go, oh, we should probably have done this, Carol is victorious against all assailants. She agrees to help the Skrulls find a new home, and departs Earth on this new quest, but not before giving Fury an upgraded pager that will let him contact her in the event of an extreme emergency. Oh, also, it turns out that Goose the Cat is actually a ravenous alien called a Flurkin. That was a thing too. Fiend. All right. So the plot of Captain Marvel is drawn. Well, let's let's first first off, let's say I don't even know. I don't even know where to start with with the film in that the film doesn't really seem to know where to start. So I guess the first place to start is with Stan. Um, I was, you know, my my son was I saw it with both my boys and my, and my older son turned around and looks at me and says, Dad, are you crying? Oh, <laughs> Um, yeah, the the probably the best tribute to Stan there, there could have been. I would love if all of the Marvel films did this like for the next year. And like arguably that. the most brilliant Stan Lee cameo that has been in any Marvel film to this date. Oh, yes. I mean, I have a personal stake in that. I, I am such a Kevin Smith fan. The fact that Stan's cameo is him reading the script for Mallrats, which he would be which reading. Which he was a cameo in. <laughs> yes, which he yeah, would which be he reading, would be at reading back in 1995. He would be And I like, love the fact that he's he's just going over like he had two lines practically in Mallrats. Like it was something like, you know, I'd believe her or something like that. And he's no, just I mean, he, he's no, on he the had train. whole scenes. He had he had a whole Oh, he had a whole a, a whole monologue, a whole thing where he he works with Brody and helps Brody figure out his 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 romance and stuff. It's it's a great it's a great scene. Oh, okay. Do you want me to quote it to you? Do you want me to say it out loud? <laughs> that, that that's what Google is for. Um, hey there, it is worth noting. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go on. Keep talking about Stan and then we can talk a little bit about uh, the whole origin of Captain Marvel and how it differs from the comics. So it's interesting about that. I've, I've watched Kevin Smith's reaction to it and he he knew ahead of time that it was going to be happening. And evidently when Stan came in to do the cameo, his um, he was not doing that well and his voice was not that good. So they actually, they did the cameo, but then they had Kevin uh, Smith go back and find alternate takes from the movie, oh, from the wow. outtakes of the movie to fill in the audio of him saying that. Uh, so it sounded like the way Stan should have sounded because evidently he was real wheezy, wheezy and sounded really, really weak at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I kind of like that they went to that extreme to have it be Stan from Mallrats reading 
reading yeah. the script for Mallrats. We have yeah, the character of Carol Danvers. Now, I did not know Carol Danvers very much except as the voice inside of Rogue's head in the X-Men. See, Rogue, as we know her, the Rogue we know from the cartoon show, can fly and she's super strong. And the place where she got those powers was from Carol Danvers, who she killed in the comic books by touching her too long and permanently absorbing her powers, putting mm-hmm. Carol Danvers' mind and powers into her permanently. And for a long time, Carol and Rogue would have like these internal conversations. And for a short time, Carol even took over uh, Rogue. Later on, Carol came back in the role of Binary, who had a like this cosmic power to her, and then eventually returned as Ms. Marvel, and then eventually uh, resumed the role of Captain Marvel. But Carol Danvers was a name I knew very, very well from reading the X-Men, because right in the sweet spot of when I started reading the X-Men, there was a lot of conversation between Rogue and Carol Danvers. Well, guess what I'm saying is with the X-Men returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Brie Larson better stay very friendly with everybody. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, Carol Danvers has quite a checkered history in Marvel. Um, it is worth noting that for the first, you know, 10, 20 years of her being around, um, from a feminist perspective, her character was extremely problematic. Um, she got her powers originally in the comics because she was uh, essentially she had fallen in love with the original Captain Marvel, who was a Cree named Marvel. Um, although he was a dude, not Annette Benning. Um, and there was a nuclear blast of some kind. Marvell shielded Carol with his body, but the force of like the radiation took a lot of the power from Marvell and pushed it into Carol's body. Um, for a long time, Carol Danvers was sort of like the lovesick puppy second support to Captain Marvel. Um, but, uh, you know, and then eventually the thing happened with Rogue, uh, the most recent incarnation of her, uh, pretty much since, uh, it's also worth noting that, uh, her Ms. Marvel costume is not what one would have considered particularly practical as a superhero costume, unless your goal as a superhero was to titillate men. Um, or to go for a swim. Yeah, or to go for a swim, really. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah. So this recent uh, iteration of Captain Marvel, which has been around since, uh, you know, maybe like 15 years or so uh, since she became Captain Marvel again, they have focused much more on the kind of Carol Danvers that we have seen. Uh, the test pilot who always wanted to go higher, farther, faster. The woman who like and actually Carol Danvers in the comic, one of her chief characteristics is she does not know when to quit. She does not stop. She barrels through, uh, which, you know, is a which is one of the reasons why I really enjoy her as a a character. And that aspect they certainly kept in the film. So what the the Carol Danvers that we're seeing in the film is a uh, is essentially representative of Carol from the past uh, 15 years or so. Yeah, I think that she there's it's a tough nut to to crack, I think, because you have you have a character who is as is is as serious and as strong and is is driven as Carol Danvers is. And this is not a character that we've seen. We have not seen a character outside of maybe Steve Rogers, who is this this driven and strong and sort of serious, almost self-serious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth noting that this... <sighs> So we fall into this problematic thing because they put out the poster for Captain Marvel and somebody said, boy, it sure would be nice if she smiled more. And the trailer came out and said, sure, it would be nice if she smiled more. And that's a thing that men say to women that Mm -hmm. that is not great. Um, The problem that I have, oddly enough, is that she doesn't smile more. Um, There is... Something to be said for what Marvel has done to date with Star-Lord and Tony Stark and where they've gone with Thor and Ant-Man and Doctor Strange who doesn't smile but is, you know, there's a sardonic wit. He's, to he's got a sardonic charm does. to him, yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, the, the list goes on. And the only character in all of Marvel who isn't kind of like... F- kind of fun and funny mm-hmm. is Steve Rogers as Captain America. And I would say that Steve Rogers is, or at least was for a while, the least interesting of all of the Avengers to me. So mm-hmm. in, in this film, which is so fantastical, it's very odd for me to see Captain Marvel being so stoic and putting the jokes onto Nick Fury of all people um, that that I'm having an issue with Carol. <coughs> 
in that I am used to, especially in the last couple phases of Marvel, I'm used to the characters in Marvel being fun, especially the cosmic Marvel. It's mm-hmm. been about, it's been sort of a kaleidoscope light show of fun and, and you can kind of smile at it. And I would say this for, for pretty much everybody except Nick Fury in this film, no character seems to be having a good time. And when Captain Marvel does crack a joke or try and crack wise, it doesn't work for me at all. It doesn't seem, it seems out of place. It seems like the film got done and they were like, hey, we better reshoot and put a joke here. Um, we better put a smile here. So I, I think- have a couple thoughts on that. Yeah, um, please. The first, the Steve Rod. I mean, essentially, what you're talking about is Steve Rogers, the personality of Steve Rogers, and the interesting, you know, the interest factor of Steve Rogers versus Tony Stark. Um, or, which or, or, to let a me, certain let me extent versus kind of, versus it's Tony Stark, Ant Man, Star Lord, Spider Man, pretty what much everybody about, else. It, what, no, look, what you're talking about is a number of films that had Han Solo as the lead character instead of Luke Skywalker. Um, you go back to the original Star Wars and you've got the Luke versus Han dichotomy. Mm-hmm. It is indisputable that on screen Han Solo is a much more enjoyable character to watch in you know in moment to moment, more charm, more you know more more fun um but there is a heart to what luke's character brings it, it, it's a classic trope the every man or every person character um is usually not as interesting as the quirky you know as the quirky one now it is to marvel's credit that for so many of their films they have found a way to take the quirky character and make them the lead that is a pretty hard thing to do um and they've done it pretty well but i don't think that necessitates that every ma- that every major character needs to be the quirky one there just needs to be some quirk in the film um now i would agree with you that if the only fun that you've got is coming from nick fury they probably could have found a few more places to infuse some whimsical characters in there i don't feel like they needed to make carol more whimsical um and the second thought to that actually is the moment for me where i was like oh i think i'm gonna like brie larson's carol danvers is in her first fight against the scrolls when like i think like one of the big scrolls you know like roars at her and she just responds and goes ah see that then, i liked uh, i liked that yeah a and lot. that's yeah that yeah now that was that was just sort of a brief glimpse i didn't see i did not see a ton of that throughout the remainder of the film but that moment where i was like okay yeah that's the carol danvers i like see and that is and, and that is something that i could have really really strongly gone for is is finding because even steve rogers found his humor i think mm-hmm. that that finding her humor in in a in a gung ho, you know, kind of, kind of warrior way, kind of, you know, the that could that could have worked too, especially in the '90s. If she sort of exuded the same, it would be would have been really interesting. I think if she exuded some of the same wit, for lack of a better term, as like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like that could mm-hmm. have almost worked. Where she like, and I'm not saying the terrible, terrible bad one liners, but I'm saying the the you know she is a hardened soldier who if somebody roars at her she's gonna roar back at him because f those guys right like that Mm -hmm. like that i could go with um there is i don't think it's to brie larson's i i think there's there's a mix of of brie larson trying to find who the role is for her along with marvel giving her jokey moments that didn't work sometimes um, but there is a, a problem that I'm running up against with Carol in that I don't get her character. This is where the movie had trouble for me. The main arc for Carol is an amnesia arc, and that can be problematic because an amnesia arc is it's a little trite. And really, it only works if when you go into an amnesia arc, suddenly it's it's about it becomes a voyage of discovery. Now, if the audience is discovering things at the same time as the character, that's your closest to an amnesia arc actually working. Um, but this is one where pretty much even viewers who did not know that much about Captain Marvel and the way that the scenes were delivered um, were way ahead of Carol in figuring out what's going on with her. And so because of that, Carol's central drive in this is discover who I am, which is not actually a drive that lets you really reveal yourself as a character. Um, and and here's the, the thing. Uh, is that her drive? Because she didn't seem that interested in discovering where, who she was. It seemed like like a, a side benefit of finding the, the lightspeed engine that she was figuring 
figuring out who she was. But it's not like she was, I need to know who I am. Like, I don't feel like that mm-hmm. was ever, I never saw her suffer because she didn't know who she was. Yeah. You know, I, I the, never saw I her delight like this, in the discovery of who she was. I just saw that she m- didn't know who she was. And then later mm-hmm. she knew who she was. And that's kind of yeah, all I, I feel like that. I got. This was, there were aspects of this. I mean, this was more of an origin film than we've seen in a while. Um, this film, yeah, I mean, I'll say it not like this film checked a lot of boxes. Um, I enjoyed this film, but yeah, there was a certain spark that was kind of lacking in it. I would really now like to see what I, I would love to see another Captain Marvel film. Um, now that all of this origin stuff is out of the way, because I feel like now and now that she's got her full powers and everything. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with the character in uh, Avengers Endgame um, because I feel like this film was sort of like the film that we had to get through to get Captain Marvel to the place where she needs to be to be an interesting character. Yeah, I think I think for me um, with Carol, the, the unfortunate thing about this is that she is the worst character in the film, except for maybe Jude Law. Um, and even Jude Law is giving, you know, something about British actors given hammy performances. I just dig. Um, yeah. She is... Brie Larson is an amazing actress who who underplays most of the time. Yeah, it's the subtlety. Yeah. Um, and she does some subtle stuff here, but sometimes the subtle stuff looks like she's not doing anything. Um, mm-hmm. So you took a, a, an actress who is really who really underplays and then you had a character that is problematic and that i can't tell you what her arc is i can't tell you what her personal mm-hmm. arc is i can't tell you what she learned or how she's changed except that that she lost the thing on on her on her neck i can't tell you mm-hmm. what was oppressing her i agree with jude law that you can't you know i was listening to another podcast about this movie at one point and it really got to me um because they said they, they said Jude Law's telling her don't be emotional in the context of being this movie, it being this movie, it is very much a, you know, what they say to women, don't be emotional that there's that. Mm -hmm. But it's also what Yoda said. Yoda also was like, hey, don't be emotional. And if you had, I don't know, cosmic blasters for hands. Maybe the suggestion of don't be emotional and use them in the middle of a fist fight is wise advice. You only find out later that he was a bad guy, but the advice he was giving her, you know, in the heat I mean, of battle, essentially, that's, that's, it was that's standard. It was martial soldier training. Advice. It's yeah, stay frosty. Essentially, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I, no, I that's a, that's a, I, I agree with you completely. I can totally see what they were going for with that. Was the the very true um, the very true issue that for years and years and years um, women have been accused of being too emotional and that being a weakness when in fact when used correctly that can be a tremendous source of strength that um, you know that we have been suppressing well and I, um, I, I'll put I think that's what they were going for I don't think I don't that women think are landed. necessarily more emotional than men let me let me put it out there they express different emotions sometimes than men do um, but but hubris and 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 an overabundance of pride and and irrational anger and and rushing to judgment and and hate those can be emotions too and those are emotions that i associate with men and men in power a lot the women in power i've seen tend to be able to have almost an icy calculating uh, vibe to them where like well, any of the me- women i know who can turn off the emotion we, like the the breakdown always comes at the end of the fight never in the middle of it um that- yeah let me uh i i that's a good point the uh so the two things i'd say to that is first is the acknowledgement that ugh, let's be honest when we say women are too emotional what we're saying is we don't like how often they cry um now let me just be right out and say that is obviously i'm speaking That's as gross, gross stereotypes on stereotypes that, that are yeah. not true um, but following up on that, I think it's that, um, no, I think you're absolutely right. Is that, you know, women are not inherently more emotional than men. Um, I would even say that, you know, from a pure inherent biological standpoint, and again, here, I could be completely talking out of my ass. So this is pure opinion that I can let go of at any moment if somebody proves me yes, wrong. Yes, let us, um, let, let us the, white, yeah, let, white let, Christian let, men talk about what women do. Talk about, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is entirely possible that that is purely social content. 
construct that, you know, I, I certainly remember as a kid, I cried all the time. And and you can be damn sure that uh, not so much from my family, bless them, but, uh, you know, but from my peers, I sure got a lot of negative reinforcement saying just like, dude, don't cry. That's weak. Um, so from a very early age, as men, we're told, no, that kind of emotion is bad. Don't do it. Women are not told that. So flash forward 20 to 30 years when we're all grown up. Of course, you've got a bunch of men who are not crying as much and you've got women who are more willing to let themselves because they weren't told as a kid that it was as wrong. Well, let, let me say this. I would say that that my wife cries more than I do, but she is less emotional than I am when it comes to making fast and important decisions, if mm. that makes sense. The, yeah. the, the idea that one of us is going to be more emotional and is therefore going to make a, a rash decision because of the emotionality, the fact of the matter is it's going to be me of the two of us. Mm -hmm. um, because I am the first one to slam the phone down. I'm the first one to go, yeah, screw that guy. You know, I'm the first guy to do that. And she is much more like, okay, I'm going to think this out. And I think there's probably a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so I get that. It's just that they're training in martial arts. The only person in the film who's really, really horrible to her as a woman is the, is the flashback cockpit guy. Like yeah. there's there's, there's that guy, and that guy's supposed to represent all of it. I maybe would have liked to see her being suppressed for being a woman, but that didn't happen when she was a Cree, and that didn't happen when she came back to Earth. It really mm -hmm. only happened in her flashbacks, which again, yeah. they're flashbacks and they're not actively happening, so I'm not... It's Some of it is the structure and the writing. I, I have to say some of it's the performance, but I feel like if you gave this... You know, I didn't love um, Chris Hemsworth's first performance as Thor all that much either. I didn't think mm -hmm. there was a lot of there there. I thought he was funny when he's trying to be funny, but I didn't get much of anything else. And then when he found the character, he's now one of my favorite characters in all of Marvel. So yeah. I'm not saying that she can't do it, but I'm saying in this film that is already problematic, you know, the problem I have with Captain Marvel is that the, as a as a character is I don't know her arc. I don't know what she is trying to overcome. It's basically she's got a mission. She's going to do it. It's almost like a, a an 80s James Bond film. It's really just about her mission that she's got to achieve. Um, mm -hmm. And if I want to enjoy it, I don't hate her, but I'm not I'm not struggling with her because she doesn't ever really seem to be struggling. And that's a big problem yeah. even up up to the end of the film, because once her power is unleashed, I love the the explosiveness. I'm, I'm sort of clapping in my seat. I'm enjoying like, hee hee, look at her go. Um, but I'm not you know worried at any point about what's going to happen because she doesn't seem to be needing to try. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, let me uh I, I totally understand with it. Yeah, pretty much once her once her powers fully unleash, um, your sense of danger to the character disappears. Um and I was actually okay with that um, because sometimes it is nice for a for a character have a moment, uh, you know, when a character achieves true self-realization and truly becomes themselves, what we want, or at least what I want, is to see a moment of absolute crowning glorious victory um, so that I can cathartically experience that delight and joy. Um, what there should be in an ideally crafted story is there should be a tremendous amount of danger placed on the character right before that moment um, or leading up to that moment after maybe, the moment or maybe if like you want to have minutes it, after that moment, yeah too, that yeah after too. that moment if you want to have a five minute scene of that or five to ten minute scene of that character kicking ass taking names and there is no doubt in anybody's mind that they're going to come through it completely unscathed i am 100 percent okay with that um, but the, the essentially the threat of the supreme of her bonding with the supreme intelligence was not quite as um, terrifying as it could have been. Yeah, I think that I mean ultimately that's it comes down to, and we're going to talk about the other details of the film. But it comes down to the fact that that Captain Marvel as a character is never in distress. I never feel like she's in distress, and mm -hmm. there yeah, is a there's a par parallel to be drawn between her and Steve Rogers from one captain to another captain from one captain who gets knocked down and gets up, keeps getting back up and another cap captain who gets knocked down and can do this all day Okay, let me pivot to a bit about, because I think we, we've been talking a bit about the stuff we didn't like about the film, which I think is accurate. Um, there were a few things that I felt like they did do well. Um, a couple moments that jumped out at me that I feel landed the way that they were hoping that they would. 
um, when Carol is facing off against the supreme intelligence at the end, um, and in in the final moments of crisis, uh, there's always a particular virtue that a hero or a character embodies that allows them to overcome things. Um, you know, sometimes that virtue is intellect, like the character has just come up with a cunning twist, like they set a plan within a plan that defeats the bad guy. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's pure strength. Um, in this one, I think indisputably the virtue is determination, which very much embodies Carol as a character. Um, the montage, uh, that they showed of her, you know, first the, you know, the montage that she was shown of her just completely, um, getting knocked down again and again and again, which was meant to show as see how weak you are, see how you can't do anything. Um, to which her answer was, she then remembered, we saw the montage of her getting up every single time. Um, you know, that willingness to never stop trying. I felt like I saw what they were going for and emotionally for both me and Kelly watching, I felt like that moment really did land for me. Um, what did you think of that? Um, I, I, I did. Um, I, I think the montage itself worked really, really well. What works for me uh, is the, there's a section of the film from the moment that they arrive at shield headquarters until the moment that she gets super powered. And even kind of through that moment, I really liked the film. Actually, I really, really enjoyed the film. Mm -hmm. I felt like, like, and really maybe that starts when she gets on earth. Uh, I thought the earth stuff was a little, was a little obvious. Uh, but once she gets to shield specifically, I enjoyed that. I enjoy the cat and mouse. I love Ben Mendelsohn and this character because I'm so used to being oh, him, him being so the corporate bad guy that he starts that way. Mm -hmm. And then it fools you. I love that. They made the, the scrolls, the good guys. And they, and that they, was a fantastic twist that yeah. they, they made the film, you know, topical when it comes to, to immigrants, you know, immigrants trying to get away from from oppressive governments who are chasing them down, you know, you know, certain things like, you know, pardon my French, but saying, you know, oh, it's a shithole planet. I feel like the film is is also trying to make a point. About, oh, wow. I hadn't even thought of that. That's yeah, a good point. Ab about, yeah. about imperialistic imperialistic people um, going after immigrants when the fact is they don't realize that they're being imperialistic. Um, I mm -hmm. think the film does a great job with just the, 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 I, I, the kineticism of the, of the, the action itself. I love the flurkin. I love, I think the de-aging on Samuel L. Jackson is nothing short of miraculous. I can't even, I can tell it was a phenomenally bit, done. I can tell a little bit yeah. with Clark Gregg, but I can't tell at all. I can't tell at all that it's even been done. It just looks like they, yeah. found him in the 1990s and shot him um it was scarily accurate um i i felt and i felt that he did a great job you know people say samuel L. jackson does the same thing in every film i i defy you to watch this film next to captain america with a winter soldier and tell me that he's giving the same performance you are absolutely <laughs> correct in this he's so much more like it's it's it, like the fact the fact that nick fury is the comic relief that's a it's a very different nick fury than we've seen before um i like i, I love the inclusion of the tesseract um and the idea that you are actually getting the they, i think they did successfully make you feel like this was the beginning of the avengers universe um, yes 100 percent. it would have been very easy for me to rebel against that at that kind of retcon but i really kind of liked it so there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that I like, and I don't hate Brie Larson. I think that she, I wonder what she thinks when she sees the film, frankly. I wonder mm -hmm. if she sees the film and she goes, she goes, I wonder how she's going to do when she has other heroes to be around. What's it, what's it going to yeah. be like? How's she going to fit? Like, here's, here's an interesting thought. Do you think that you would want to see a Mark Ruffalo led Incredible Hulk film? Yes. You would. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I would think about that. I think that his portrayal of the incredible hulk would not work well as the lead in a film i think that he can work well as the lead in a film but i think the choices he made and the way that they've developed banner i don't want to see banner go off and do an adventure i think i would have some of the same thoughts i have about captain marvel that it just that, okay no that's um, fair um so i wonder and it's it's worth noting that she shot you know endgame maybe before she did captain marvel I, i'm not Entirely sure possible was. yeah um so it may be that she, in rehearsals for Endgame and considering her character in Endgame, necessarily has to be this character that we find problematic in Captain Marvel in order to fit into the Avengers. So mm -hmm. that is a possibility as well. I will definitely tell you that I like Steve Rogers better.
better the more superheroes you, you put around him. It's absolutely interesting. Easy. That is a well, that's a good point because suddenly, like what we were talking before with the Luke Skywalker and Han Solo thing, is when you've got other delightful superhero characters around them, it's easier to see the role that they play. Yeah. And I think that I think that let's call let's call a spade a spade. Steve Rogers isn't coming back after Endgame, guys. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that, that there's been nobody more vocal than Chris Evans about being done with playing Steve Rogers. He has been very vocal that he's very glad that he got to do it and he's ready to do something else. So whether he dies in Endgame or whether he retires or whether he gets shot back in time and gets to live the rest of his life and gets a happy ending or he gets shot millions of years in the future or he gets changed genetically to look like a different actor or something. Thing, you're not going to be seeing Chris Evans and Steve Rogers anymore in the Avengers universe. It's not going to happen. So you need necessarily a, a replacement for that Steve Rogers. Like you need there to be a replacement for for the the stoic, determined guy who gets back up. And I and can actually, that's, yeah, Captain Marvel's about as close to a replacement as I can think. Yeah, and I think that if she's going to be the one in charge of the Avengers, and it's interesting, she is in charge of the Avengers a lot, actually. If you watch, or Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers mm-hmm. is, if you watch like the old the old cartoon show, which I love, if you've never seen Superhero Squad, watch it, it's really funny. Um, but she is in charge of the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. Like, she yeah. is meant to be the leader. And in that role, she might work very, very well. So the problems that I'm having with her in this film might be that this character is not specifically designed to lead her own series of films. And it's also worth noting mm-hmm. that that Tony has never works as well outside of a Tony story as he does on the inside of a Tony story. Robert Downey Jr. is a fantastic actor. And Ultron is a Tony story. But like this, when he has to interact with Loki, it never struck me as it didn't work for me all the way when he interacts mm. with shield that kind of works you know when he's but when the scene has to be sort of specifically tony for tony to work for me um and that's mm-hmm. why tony works so well in a series of solo films but i think that the problem i might be having is that she found her character as part of the avengers and now necessarily has to play that character in this film and i see this person as much as i don't like her in this film and i'm not sure i want to see a captain marvel too I could see her replacing Steve Rogers and being spectacular as a puzzle piece in the Avengers, if that makes sense. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, Let me. uh, Yeah, please. Let's let me touch on one final thing that I really felt worked and then we can go to how we would rate it. Um, The the final showdown with Jan Rog. uh, And I agree with you, Jude Law. Like there have been better villains than Jan Rog. Um, And it wasn't it what he was meant to represent in terms of, I mean, he was clearly meant to represent some aspect of the patriarchy, um, keeping a woman down. Um, the, we both agreed that the whole don't give into your emotions thing didn't quite like it was, it was problematic. Um, but the final showdown when he, uh, you know, when they're, when they've straight up got like that wild west duel about to happen being, you know, I, I love that they were shooting it like a wild west duel. And then suddenly he tries pivoting to a completely different tactic and is like, okay, fine. If you really want to beat me, you know, you'll prove to, you know, um, you know, you'll power down. Essentially, it was it's the classic thing of, oh, if you're really going to be strong, throw away your gun. You're going to face me man to man. Um, and the, I like the fact that his speech starts off and this is all done in both the acting and the, um, and the directing, the cinematography of it. I thought it was very well done. It starts off very much a convincing, no, if you're really going to prove yourself to yourself, you've got to do this. And like it builds and builds. And then it just sort of, and then the camera pulls back to him, you know, with his fists in front of him. And his voice takes on a slightly shrill, desperate sound to it of him saying, it's just like, if you're really going to prove to your, like going on that. And just in the moment that you're thinking, oh, he's actually looking a little ridiculous right now. That is when Carol blasts him with the photons and knocks him out. And he has that fantastic ragdoll effect, which is, of course, done for comic effect there. Um, She walks over, stands above him and she says, I have nothing I need to prove to you. 
Um, I thought that was a fantastic um, metaphorical moment. The idea that it is, you know, for, you know, a woman or anybody who is, you know, oppressed to succeed. It is not to beat the the people in power at their own game. Uh, it is to say, I'm not even going to play your stupid game. I'm just going to do me. Um, I thought the. Uh, so, yeah, that was a moment I really wanted to give a shout out to because that was one where I felt like I saw what they were going for. I agreed with what they were going for. And I felt like they made it land in a very in a very successful way. I'm going to go a different way. I saw what they were going for. I agree with what they're going for. I agree that that just because she's a woman, she doesn't need to prove anything to me as of as a moviegoer or to Marvel. Um, she doesn't have anything to prove because of that. But she is a new Marvel character. And I think that the scene, while I agree with everything it's going for, represents everything that is good and bad about the film. What's good about it is that it is striving to do something bigger and better. It's striving for inclusivity. It's striving for empowerment empowerment, and largely achieving it. But as as a piece of female empowerment, it's great. I, you know, it's interesting. I walked out of Black Panther going, it was pretty good, but I don't understand. We talked about it, but I don't understand what all the hype is about. And then I realized that's not, it's not a film for me. It's a film that I really, really like, but I am not the target. So I'm mm-hmm. very interested in, in seeing how Kelly feels, my Kelly, after, I'm sorry, Mrs. J, I'm not supposed to say her name, um, feels <laughs> after after, after seeing this movie, because it might well be that all the problems I'm having are problems that she doesn't have at all. And it might be mm-hmm. that that I am missing the point because I am looking for something else. But I find this the scene problematic because there are no stakes. Like She could fight him and she would win. She can do this and she would win. It would be, I don't see any danger in what's going on. He's already beaten and he's just, you know, it's not really all that funny. It's a not as good version of, of Loki screaming at the Hulk and the Hulk grabbing him and slamming him. It's the same mm-hmm. moment, not as good. Um, and it's a beat that's been played and played better. And in that case, I did wonder what would happen if Luke, Loki were to fight the Hulk. And then I found out here, there's no tension in that moment at all. And if there's humor with no tension, then there's no joke. So, you know, my kids liked watching the Kim get shot across the screen as a rag doll. But even my older kids said, ha, huh, and I like how they did that thing that they always do in movies where it looks like one thing's going to happen. And then someone just gets boop across the screen. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you did enjoy it, but you also recognized it as yet another example of this thing they always do. Um, mm-hmm. I think I feel like this particular moment in terms of the yeah, we could go round and round a bit on this one because I think we come down in different areas. But uh, the, the yeah, line, the line, I don't have to prove myself to, to anyone is or, or have nothing to prove to you or whatever she, she says. It's great. It's if you're going to do that moment, whether or not you do that moment well, and I don't think it does it well. The line is good and the line is important and what it has to say is good and important. But yeah, it's it, it doesn't work. for me. Fair enough. OK, well, all right, so sir. On a, um, on a scale, <laughs> no, you, you come up with the scale on a scale of one to five flurkins <laughs> there we go how would you rate captain marvel all right so um before i give this the rating i just need to so the film that this is inevitably going to be compared to in terms of its quality um as how it stacks up is the wonder woman that came out a few years ago um and wonder woman when we get to reviewing that one um i will <laughs> I will not be holding back in the limits of my praise for that film. Um, I know ahead of time, even before watching it again, that's going to be getting a 4.5 from me at least, possibly a 5. Um, because that film did everything in terms of, like, from a meta perspective, did everything in terms of female empowerment, did everything in terms of advancing the idea of how women can be in stories, in terms of superhero stories, and I felt achieved more of the things it was going for from a cinematic perspective. This film was a perfectly fine superhero film, and I know your, uh, your opinion of the word fine. Um, but that's what this film was. This was I, Kelly and I, we bought our popcorn, we sat down, we enjoyed it. I'm not sure if I'd necessarily be in a great rush to go back and see it a second time again, as I was with Wonder Woman, but it was, it was a perfectly solid film. I would say it's even a little bit better than solid. So I would norm, but here's the thing as, you know, as we continue this fantastic trend of more and more movies, uh, superhero films and mythic films having, Uh, strong female characters and central female characters in them, it means that we're going to have more and more films where it's just like, yeah, that was fine. 
it means hopefully we'll eventually get to the point where the pressure on a film being led by a woman or a person of color or anybody that is not a white male, it doesn't feel as much of the pressure to be this amazing film. Otherwise, it proves the point of the haters. Um, and I feel like this is this is a step in the right direction in that sense. This movie was was good. I wouldn't call it great, but it was solidly good. And it has earned five hundred million dollars so far. And I think both of those things are wonderful. Um, so I would normally rate this a 3.5 film. However, we are still at the point where just the fact that it is the first Marvel uh, film to headline a female character, that's that is important enough. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, to bump it up to a four for me. All right, so I'm going to start with my bump up, and then we'll see where I'm bumping them from. Um, I'm okay. definitely going to get going to give it a 0.5 bump up just because of its desire to to have her not smile when someone tells her she needs to smile more, to have her say she doesn't need to prove herself, to the for the marketing saying this is a a, a woman a, a film about a woman. Um, I will give it a bump for that in that it is, you know, for what it has to say about refugees, it's a film that's trying underneath what's going on to make a point about, you know, about equality and about justice. And I think mm -hmm. that, that it deserves a point for that. Um, I will give it an additional, I will give it a full point up for that and for, um, and for the fact that it is about time for a woman to get her own film. And you're right. Good or bad we need to get to a point where a film does not need to be epically womanly to be you know like it should there's there's the breaking through the ceiling and then there's the normalization you know i i yes. i don't want to see the first you know woman-led superhero film i want to see the 10th you know what i mean i want to see i want mm. to see the oh that's average. a nice that's a very nice distinction um yeah. and this has jumped immediately to the 10th when i think it kind of needed to seem a little more like the first so I will get a full point, mm -hmm. point up, but I will tell you through the course of doing this review, even more than I was walking out of the theater, I was at a 2.5 for the film. Okay. Um, I've got a character that I don't like all that much in with in a story that's telling me that she's oppressed, but I never see her ever being oppressed. As a matter of fact, she seems to be kind of well liked and doing well among the the Cree. And had she not gotten caught, you know, she was you know empowered in a in a group of people that had both men and women and people of color in it already. Um, and yeah, ironically enough, the Cree see for for being in a, an evil imperialistic race. The Cree were remarkably forward-thinking in terms of equality of the classes and the sexes. Yeah, um, uh, she, she's. It's called Captain Marvel, and much like Captain America or Iron Man, it needs to rise and fall on her. Uh, the supporting cast is is great. It's fine, but they're they're mostly people we know. It's only Ben Mendelsohn's character that is a new person that you're being introduced to, um, and Jude Law is not great either. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. ever feel that she is oppressed at the beginning. It would be great if she said, "I don't need to prove myself to you." If I ever felt at the beginning of the movie that she felt like she constantly had to prove herself to him, but literally she woke mm -hmm. this guy up out of sleep and was like, "Hey, you want to fight?" And then she kind of beats him in that fight. And so when was she trying to prove herself? To to him and when was he oppressing her when was society oppressing her when was Cree society oppressing her you know ultimately it's it's she's not even on her own mission she just really really liked what annette benning had to say about saving the scrolls so she guesses she's gonna do it too um i don't see mm -hmm. personal stakes for her you know she if i'm gonna compare her to peggy to uh to captain america america she has no peggy carter and she has no bucky really um well, i mean we we haven't even mentioned maria rambo she's great um, oh my gosh who is i she felt great. to a certain put her yeah. i don't know this actress but i want to see her in everything yeah and the, the the conversation that they first had sitting down across the table from each other when she came back like all i could think as i was watching it was i was like well this passes the bechtel test with unbelievable flying colors yeah no and i think that's that's really important for that that's why i'm giving it the extra point bump but she doesn't have mm -hmm. a bucky who she loses and she doesn't have a, oh, a fair point a crisis of conscience which is what you know the, a lot of a big part of that first captain america movie was him becoming the symbol and everybody thinking he was a joke when he finally reached the front line i loved that through line of that film mm -hmm. um she doesn't yeah. have tony hubris to to overcome she doesn't she she doesn't have any journey of any kind really she goes from being like seven out of 10 powerful to being 8.5 out of 10 powerful. And other than that, nothing about her changes. There's nothing different about her at the end of the film than at the beginning of the film. She changes alliances because she's like, oh, you guys are bad. I'll go with these good guys. But it's not like she was bad to start with. She just realized other people were better and she went with them. 
So, mm-hmm. so I don't, I, a 2.5 and I'll bump it up to a 3.5. Cause I really think that the more I think about this movie, the more I feel like it ended up being kind of substandard um, and not. So the, the big question, right. Then is where would you put it among the other Marvel movies? Um, even with the bump and I'm not going to put it at the bottom, which is where probably Thor two, the first incredible Hulk, in my opinion, Iron Man three is kind of down there. Um, it's maybe just above Iron Iron Man three um, might might be right around the first Ant Man in terms of how much I like it. It's it's you know somewhere between fifth and seventh out of twenty. It's a solid film, and again, I I got to keep saying this. Twenty years ago, it would have been the greatest film of all time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a really good point. If I'd yeah. seen this before Iron Man one, I would have said this is amazing. Oh, they can do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm still, I'm still. It is what, you know what I think we can say? It is indisputably the best 90s superhero film. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, you know how I feel about The Crow. But other than that, yes. Mm-hmm. It's very. <laughs> It is indisputably for everyone that is not angst-ridden 17-year-old Justin, the best 90s superhero. Everyone film. should be that. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 okay. It's go see it because you're going to you're going to want to know who she is and they're, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun to see Nick Fury do, do Nick Fury stuff and maybe I like the first Captain America better after seeing subsequent movies with him in it. It's fun to go back and see that maybe this will age the same way. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see. But yeah, it's I, I'm disappointed to have to say this. Like I'm disappointed to to feel this way. I was really, really looking forward to this, and I agree with everything the film is trying to do. Um, and I feel like I have to. I feel bad saying that I don't like it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. No, I, I no, I, I totally understand what you're saying with that. But that's it for uh, for totally super. Uh, uh, as you know, um, as we mentioned last time, uh, we're going to be delayed a little bit in the coming weeks between this and the next film. Um, hopefully, get we get one in before Endgame. I'm hoping. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't, I, I don't know if it's going to, I'm, I'm directing a movie right now. So it's, it's all encompassing. Getting this together was, was a little difficult, but it was important for me to at least say hi to you guys. Cause I missed you. Um, and, and yeah. we will do our best to get another one in the meantime. Uh, but end game looms. Uh, I can promise you that I will, it will be unlikely that we will be doing a night of or morning after review of end game, uh, because if you'd like to come see me and you're in the Washington DC area, I will be performing with my co-host Alexia of the Trek off podcast, uh, at awesome con this year. We'll be doing a Trek off live there along oh, with cool. a 10th anniversary screening of ninjas versus zombies in which both arthur and i feature oh my god we're yeah. so old um, so we're going to be doing the both of those will be at awesome con this year uh the weekend that uh this avengers premieres. so come see us there because we want to see you so uh yeah. and uh the last thing i will say on this one is uh you know so of course it begs the question all right we've seen wonder woman we've seen captain marvel which then starts you know thinking the admittedly smaller canon of female superheroes what are they going to do next all i'm just going to say i'm going to put this out into the ether right Right now, especially having just lost some uh, some great TV shows like Daredevil, um, all I'm saying is uh, Marvel a uh, a TV series of Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel, the uh, incredibly spunky uh, Muslim teenager from Jersey City. Get yeah. on that. Well, Get yeah, Disney you know, Disney Plus is gonna is gonna need some content, and I think that would be a way to go. So, okay, uh, for now, my name is Justin. Yeah, and my name is Arthur. And hey there, Stay true believers. marvelous. Nice. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. 